0: This is the Women Emerging Expedition podcast, so you can follow the ups and downs and the roundabouts of the expedition and play your part in them. 24 women started on the 28th of May, 2022 on this virtual expedition that will take nine months. We are women from across the world, determined to find an approach to leadership that resonates with women. We'll be successful so that women the world over will be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the 16th episode of the Expedition Podcast. Julia Middleton, Expedition Leader. As we're starting the expedition and the women are going out and having their conversations and beginning their exploration, we thought it was important to do a, a short series in the podcasts of, of what I'm calling zeitgeist episodes, episodes devoted to sort of trying to, to give a sense of what's, what's in the mood across the world, what's the backdrop What's in the air? What are the noises, the noises out there that the women on the expedition need to hear? And I don't think there's any doubt in any of us's mind that the zeitgeist at the moment amongst so many is of anger, anger amongst women and especially young women. It's boiling over in the US as women's anger about women's bodies, about men's decisions, about systems being fit for purpose. It's loud. It's haunting and daunting. So this episode is devoted to angry women and particularly angry young women. I thought we would talk to some of the angry young women in other parts of the world. Three, Megha, who's in India, who's going to talk about her anger, about the divisive politics that you see in India. Asifa, who's in Germany via Iraq and Greece, who who at 21 has spent a quarter of her life living in refugee camps, and Hilla, who's in London, who's angry about the legacy that we've given to young women, the environmental challenge that they feel has been dumped upon them. The aim of this, this Zeitgeist episode in particular, to focus the 24 women's minds on... If if the aim is to produce an approach to leadership that resonates with women, it has to w- resonate and make sense and be fit for purpose for the young women in their 20s and in their teens currently. And then there's another reason. It's because it also has to be an approach to leadership that somehow helps the process of generations of women working more cleverly together engaging across generations as they never have before. You know, the expedition, the 24 women, is an enormous mixture of different ages, and that is its huge strength. It has been its strength from the get-go, the different voices from different women of different ages. I have always believed that women of my age should have on our list of competencies. Can you inspire a young woman who is a third of your age? And if you can't, get out of the way. And I also believe that in the competencies of young women, there has to be, can you influence women who are three times your age? And if you can't, figure out how to because we have to combine our efforts in a way that we possibly haven't across generations in the past. It's an equal relationship. You know, I often speak on conferences that, and that word slips out. It's a weird word. Someone suddenly says, you know, we have to harness the talent of young people. Harness. And you feel like shouting out, do you know what a harness looks like? It's a big, thick piece of leather that you strap around an animal's neck to force it to do something it doesn't want to do or to stop it from doing something it does want to do. The last thing on earth we must be doing is harnessing the talent of another generation. We need an equal partnership and a coming together of women across generations. So the first is Megha, and she's in Bangalore. And I started by asking her about her relationship with India and how it's changed. Mega, what is it that you absolutely love about India?
1: Oh, that is a hard question to be asking today. Um, it's very selfish. It's that I feel at home. I think there are versions of me from five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago that would have said, I love the diversity. Um, I love that that diversity is constitutionally enshrined, but I'm not sure to believe any of that anymore.
2: So that sort of implies that you've fallen out of love. What does that mean?
1: Why? Because it doesn't feel like home to everyone, and it should. So what's happened? There's no longer a veiling of the political agenda that the incumbent government has against people, well, against Muslim people and against people of lower castes and those things are no longer hidden and are no longer secret and are being yeah people are being prosecuted in the open mainstream media the the newspapers that I used to read growing up I no longer feel like I can trust so in fact I was reading the news this morning when you read three different versions of the same story you, you can almost tell who's been bought out you know so while India still, for now, feels like home to me, that's because on paper, I'm Hindu. On paper, I belong to an upper caste. So it's easy for me to say that. Governments don't yet ask about sexuality, right? So I'm not yet going to be prosecuted from a census perspective. And if anything, it'll only be because I say something vocally against them. But people like me and people not like me who have grown up here and only ever known it here and have passports and documents and even if they don't um, have lives are being made to feel like it is no longer safe and no longer home and yeah that's why I'm falling out of here.
2: so would you call yourself an angry part of an angry generation
1: I don't know that the rest of the generation has capacity for anger I know many of us do but I think generationally, I see far more young Indians prioritizing, making themselves comfortable, which often includes leaving. So what are your choices? I have the choice to leave. I know I don't want to make that choice. Um, So I know where I want to be physically. I think the options are be quiet and be comfortable or do what you can, be a bit loud, but you don't know what the consequences of that might be. I know which I'm going to pick. I just don't know how it's going to manifest. And what's the prospect of success? Feels quite low at the moment. I think it feels now like a game of how many individuals, how many neighborhoods, how many households can you protect or support rather than changing something on the national scale because it feels like this game has been in motion for decades and decades before we even knew that it was, right? Yeah, so I think changing something on a macro level, is not looking promising. Doing something in pockets, there's always hope for that. The word inclusive,
2: band is around everywhere. Is it a big enough word anymore?
1: No, it feels so corporate, it feels so dirty. It's not. It's insufficiently radical for the problems that we now face. Explain. Inclusive now feels like, you know, companies changing their logos into rainbow colours in June and, and whatever, issuing public statements when there are school shootings in the US. Yeah. Um, uh, it's not sufficiently embracing. It's not pulling people into the fold it feels a bit like a public facing tagline And it doesn't put any onus sorry it doesn't put any onus on the people who are already included. So you may not be an angry
2: generation but there's a lot of angry young women in India
1: because we're taught to be afraid from such a young age. You're taught to be scared when you're walking on the streets. you're taught to be afraid even in your own home. I was talking to somebody recently who apparently gets told that when her elder brother is at home she can't wear shorts at home and she's got to wear tracks even to bed it's
2: your house i don't know why
1: you know um and these are of course very sort of trivial bougie examples but i think yeah we're policed and we are policed not in an equal way in, in a in a hypocritical and unjust fashion And different women are given different amounts of protection based on their social and economic standing.
0: Yeah, I think if I were you, I'd be angry too. Thank you, Mega. It seems pretty obvious you've already made your mind up. I look forward enormously to watching how it will play out. Let's move on now fast to Asifa. Asifa is 21 and has spent... Most of her education and a lot of her childhood in refugee camps. It seems to me that that Asifa's generation will have many refugees amongst them, many young women whose education has been stalled and messed about, and whose lives have been very, very tough. And um, that must influence the generation enormously. I first met Asifa when my daughter took me to a refugee camp in Greece she and her sister i met them they bubbled over in their energy their charm their joy their brains their spark they were all it, it was so totally obvious that you were in the presence of extraordinary young women uh, i never asked to see for her story uh, all i did was just enjoy her presence and and admire her presence and her energy and felt touched by it and very honoured to have been touched by it. But I also left with a, an enormous sense of her boredom. She was going crazy, the, a sense of wasted talent. And um, in French, the word wasting is gaspiller. gaspillage. It somehow is a much more powerful word than waste. Her her talent and her sister's talent was being gaspier, And so it was a real joy to catch up with Asifa now that she's in Germany. Asifa, you, like thousands and thousands of young women, have
2: spent a lot of your childhood and education in refugee camps. Yes. How many? I have been to sex camp
3: in Iraq, Greece, and Germany, and like since 2014 to 2019, I
2: was in
3: refugee camps.
2: Every refugee camp you've been to makes you start your education again. Actually, we don't have official school
3: that, even though if we go to school in refugee camps, they wouldn't recognize this certificate as, a, as someone who has studied a normal school or have been in a normal school. So it's just kind of a wasting time. It's like just you think that you're doing something great, you go to school with the other students, like normal students, but they it's not like that actually. They, For example, I've been in school in Greece, but I haven't got any certificate from um, Greek school because of my language barrier, because of the short time I've been there was just about two years. And when I came to Germany, I had my certificate from Iraq and I translated, they recognized it, but I was in the eighth grade and I had to repeat the the two years of ninth grade and 10th grade because um, they didn't kind of believe that the Iraqi school system is good enough to be in high school so we are getting to a long process of finishing school this also is bringing the mental health issues bringing other kind of obstacle that we face every time we are we it's easy for us to to repeat these classes educationally because we have already studied about this subject it's very easy but it's so hard to step in a place that you see this is not what I'm going this is not I don't deserve, deserve to do this I I, I can't do better I need to go faster and you don't have you have nothing like you're in a hole and you can you like you scrunch me and you say I want to go out out of this hole and it's, it's not it's, nothing's happening so it must be very because how many languages do you speak I speak four language. My mother language is Kurmanji, which yezidis um speak Kurmanji Kurdish and um I speak Arabic, then I come to Greece, where I learn English and a little of Greek, and then I come to Germany, I learn Germany. So it's not a choice that I choose to learn this language. It's kind of that I have I was forced to, I had to to just communicate and just to have a little kind of a chance to get to know the community to get to know the society and also to let them to know who I am and I had to flee my home it's because that because of conflict because of war and I explained what happened to me and my community especially and it's always not our choice. If you, like you, if you ask me to leave that like, small, tiny village that haven't seen anything, I would never say yes, I would come to Europe and live freely. I, I don't want ever life. I really, I was happy there, even though I had, I had so nothing, so, but it's not our choice always to learn this old language to to try to fit in this society to have new friends to have new family to have a new home a home so it's not our choice and it even it's very very hard to even start from zero because it's very difficult and it's very complicated and it's, there's, it's not about like how fast you learn a language how fast how not you like kind of they you don't seem different is always something that you are missing. You don't feel that they are uh, are warmly welcoming you. So it's always kind of a a distance. You don't see that, but you feel that inside that you will never be a part of this society, even though if you did all the steps and all the things that they require to be a part of this society.
2: How do you balance the sense that on one side you are expected and no doubt you say it to yourself, I am lucky, yeah. I'm fortunate, yeah. I've, 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 I'm healthy, I've made it through, I'm, all those things. But balance that also with the sense of the injustice about having your life completely put on hold for years and years and years. Um, this is... A very good question, actually, and I really
3: struggle with this because when, when I was in Iraq as well, because um, I, I, don't, I don't know if you know about Yazidi and well, the genocide that happened in 2014, and so many of my friends and also um, two of my cousins have been kidnapped by ISIS and they were like in captivity for five years, but I luckily um survived with my family and I haven't been captive uh, in, in captivity and whenever I was thinking that um, I like I survived from a genocide and I have seen so many things and I like trying to I, I was like I was always telling me that like I'm exaggerating how emotional and how how ha- I, I have been suffered through this genocide and I was always comparing myself to the girls, to my cousins and the, my friends that have been kidnapped, have been raped, beaten, sold. And I, was, I, was, this, I have seen nothing, I, this is, I have seen nothing. I'm so lucky, I, I didn't lose my father, I didn't lose my two sister, I didn't lose any of my brother. And I was comparing my lucky, I was telling like myself that I am the luckiest person in the, in, on earth because I haven't seen what most of my friends have seen and have been through. And I've been holding myself, I was comparing myself to others, but when like now, right now, I also realized because I was always thinking when I get to Germany, I will be free, I will be, I will make, if I made it to Germany, I will be so kind of mentally and physically free and happy and safe, but it's not, and, and that at this point I realized I also have been through so many things I don't I I I don't have to face the same things that they have been facing and they are still facing but is the is the things that I was a child I was just 13 when I left home and I I have never been a child I I have never kind of lived the childhood that Most of the children are living.
2: Do you do you ever let yourself become angry?
3: (laughs) Yes, yes, so many times, so many times. But what what makes me angry most of the time is that is that how I was like how I naively I was naive to think about that I was the only one and just it was. Our country and our society that treat women differently I was I was thinking this is oh where I get somewhere i when I get somewhere like free and high I can share freely and I our only hope my only hope was to get somewhere where I can share and I can do and I can talk about women when when nobody will like judge me or like make fun of me or like just like to say, okay, don't speak. Or, uh, but when I, come, when I come to Europe and I saw the world that I was always I dreaming of, like women are free in, it sucked. And it's not just in my society, it's not just in one country, it's not just in, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in, in Germany, it's all, it's everywhere try to control women try to try to just i don't know it's it's really making me um, sick and angry and i really i was kind of very naive to think it's just my society right like right, right now in the united states about the abortion is so crazy and it's really make me crazy when we we win we repeat the history that and we're when we just go backward instead of going forward kind of it's hard to explain how the process are going and we're just looking and just can't do anything uh is it's also about like woman right and also about kind of war that happened in iraq yeah we couldn't stop that and now it's happening in in, in ukraine so it's something that we see and people are suffering and we are like normal people are also like I have been true and I can't do anything I don't have any power I and this makes me angry this makes me very sad that I kind of feel that I have nothing in my hand to help or to do so
2: when I said to you you know what do you want in leaders the biggest word that you kept me coming back to was respect that word that word is something I think you yearn for what respect is, is for me
3: is for me very important because I'm kind of the person that have been through, and I can feel all the refugees and especially women and girls they've been in kind of very close-minded society they 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 survived a war and they then they, they come to these refugee camps and stuck for years and although they have been through this all experience they are trying to do better they are trying and they are doing better and they are going through that but most of the time we don't get that respect and i think we get that word like oh i'm so sorry for you because you have been through this this is i don't like that i don't like anyone when i talk about my story to give me this reaction don't be sorry about me do something about what they when they tell you their story do something about you you kind of self yourself like say okay that is so much and she went through so much and she's still trying and she told me my her story so I need to do something that show her that I really care like volunteer helping other refugees helping other women share their story share their artwork anything that you can you kind of Show your love and kindness.
2: Would you call yourself the angry generation? Yes, I would. Like a super, super angry generation.
0: Can you see what I mean about Asifa? Thank you, Asifa. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that. I think we can all feel the passion that emanates from you and respect it enormously. Next Is Hilla. I won't introduce Hilla, I'll let her introduce herself.
4: Hilla, talk to us. I feel like the climate crisis has been dumped on our generation or my generation of women. It feels very much like a generational shift where the climate crisis has definitely been present in everyone's lives from throughout the 20th century and into the 21st century. But I think now young women especially are feeling like it's taken over our entire life whether that's how if we choose to have kids or not or what products we're buying what jobs we're going into what industries we're going into and it's become a burden because young women no longer have a choice on where they want their lives to go and i think i sort of i'm an i'm an older sister and i see how young women's relation to the climate crisis is very much like being an older sister to the world where older sisters (laughs) get um, a lot of issues put on us and a lot of people's problems and we become the world's therapist it's quite damaging and it causes a lot of climate anxiety which I've observed talking to young people from across the world some people as young as 12 and they'll talk to me and they'll say, yeah, I know, like we know all the solutions, but what can we actually do as a young person? I feel like I don't have agency over the world. And that's where I think we really see the intersection between climate activism and feminism and equality worldwide, because this burden is placed on us and yet women still don't really have the agency to have an impact in a way that I think that we should be able to, if it's been put on our shoulders. Feminism has definitely changed, The world has definitely become more equal but it's not equal in the right way you know young people now have a seat at the table we have people like Greta Thunberg being given a platform to speak but the table itself needs to change the system needs to change because there's no point as getting to the table if almost to fill fill a quota or say oh look we're listening to young people we're listening to young women if those words if um if what Young women are saying and young people are saying isn't then being taken into account. Um, and it's almost, it turns it into a show, I think. There was a big phase of, in the beginning of the pandemic, when we saw social media platforms like TikTok um, really gain popularity. Um, and there was a caricature on there of something called a visco girl, and the visco girl would always be like, oh, we should not use plastic straws. That's saved the turtles, and they became, it became a joke. Everyone was in, um, imitating them, and I think it's really sad that we see these things that are such important issues, but they only become important issues when they're coming out of the right, right mouth, and if they're coming out of a young woman's mouth, then it's an interpreted in a completely different way you're seen as angry you're seen as bossy you're seen as a social justice warrior as a negative thing with negative connotations when why should caring about the environment be seen as a bad thing or why is that the first thing that we jump to i think ultimately with the climate crisis you know there's been so many studies to say that women or impoverished women specifically will be the ones that will feel the effects of climate change the most and yet no matter what you do, you almost feel powerless because of your position in the world. Um, and going back to that idea of having a seat at the table, it's almost like someone's pulled you up, pulled up a chair for you. you have sat at the table now. You can witness going what's going on. You can see it happening right in front of your eyes. All the dominoes that are toppling, all the things that you can't control. But no one's asked you to speak yet. You're just sitting there silently, almost like you've got a piece of tape over your mouth. It's almost like you're speaking into like a little I don't know like Mask or something (laughs) like you're you're speaking into nothing, everyone's nodding and agreeing, but they're not going to do anything about it. You know, we saw that at COP26, what so many people had such high hopes for. We had activists being there. Take Action Global, the organisation I work for, you know, we were there on a live stream. We had young people from across the world speaking and sharing their ideas for the climate solution. And yet a lot of people, myself included, were so disappointed by COP26 because it felt like none of that mattered. And I think that what's really sad about all of this is that everyone knows what the issue is and everyone knows how to change it. It's just the people that have that choice, which young women don't, are not making that change and they're not making that choice just come
2: back to that thing that you said before about children
4: and choosing whether to have children or not for me speaking from personal experience like ever since i was little i was like oh my goal in life is to be a mother you know i was like the kid who was always playing with like the baby annabelle dolls and um yeah i just i was fascinated with the idea of being a mother um and as i grew, got older like 14 15 and um, I was friends with a lot of people who were feminists and very active in the women's rights movement and stuff like that. And when I expressed that idea, they were like, Well, that's not very feminist of you, which I completely disagree with. I think feminism is about a woman's choice and agency in the world. And if a woman chooses to want to be a mother as her main thing, then that they should be allowed to do that. But in the last couple of years, as I've seen the effects of climate change become even more drastic in affecting my own life, I realise that I don't have that choice anymore. Like I know if as the world stands as it is now, I don't think that it's ethical to bring a child into the world. I think we can all hear the, the anger in your voice. How do you think
0: that anger will frame how your generation will want to be led and
4: will lead? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that anger is extremely important in any movement that you're creating. Um, But I think as a generation, it's about redesigning how we're using that anger, Um, because I think in the past, in movements that have been successful, movements that haven't been successful, anger is always a very important tool. Um, But I think that when we're working towards these long term goals, we have to see anger as an emotion, as the driving force behind it. It's like the gas that you put in the car rather than the car itself. Um, and I think that what is so special about the expedition is if we can create something that is leading with compassion and leading in a new way with anger as that driving force but not necessarily the end product, um, I think that we could create something really special.
0: You are arguably a generation that is that is the first one that is facing, a fixed deadline. I mean, you could argue that my generation always had the option of kicking things into the long grass. And and indeed, that's one of the great problems. But your generation has a fixed deadline, don't you? You've got 30 years in which to solve this and probably less.
4: How will that affect your leadership? I think it will definitely affect our leadership because I think what's quite Unique about how my generation tackles issues, and I think this is probably to do with social media as well, is that the urgency plays out in um, everyone gets held accountable, right? Like within a couple seconds of something going on in the world, there's 101 Instagram posts about it or people reposting about it, and so the um, access to information, whether you want it or not, is very much there. Um, and I think in that sense, leaders are being more pressured to act, because as my generation gets to voting age, you know that these people are not going to let go of it. I think that we've had to witness a lot of faffing about, um, and I'm not sure that when people my age get to those positions of power, there will be as much faffing about, number one, because we won't have the time to faff about, and two, because we've seen that that doesn't work. And I think that As a generation we're very good at seeing through that and seeing through the smoke and mirrors and getting to the root of the problem and realizing that what we need right now is action we don't need talk. So Hila tell us what you want to shout from the rooftops. Young women are facing this on our own we're in the middle of the tornado but we need you young other young women, women across generations to stand behind us and use your voices as well to help amplify us. We've got that seat at the table but we need generations of women as well to be behind us holding that seat down and making sure that we stay in place. I think together we can be that microphone that will rip the tape off young women's mouths and allow us to speak. Thank you Mega.
0: thank you Asifa and thank you Hilla. What does this tell me about an approach to leadership that resonates with women? I think that inclusive is not a word that's fit for purpose. That's a very powerful thought and worth thinking through. That young women are demanding an urgency from their leaders and though they're asking for authenticity and depth, they also want urgency and speed. And that's a difficult balancing act. I think Asifa's expression, don't say, you're sorry, show me respect. Even if the shape of my life has not been the same as yours, that will ring in my head for some time. I think Hilla's demand for support from other women of her own generation and for women across the generations to really back these brave young women. And then maybe... The last one that came through to me is a sense of share our anger. Don't, don't make any effort to sanitise it. Share our anger. Otherwise, you make no sense to me as a leader. I've always believed that mentoring should not be one way, it should be two way. And um, preferably mentoring where the age difference is at least 10, even better 20 years apart where one woman mentors the other and the other woman mentors the first. It's got to be the way to go. Look forward to talking again on the next podcast, which will again be a Zeitgeist podcast. And this one will be on The
1: Hunger Games. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We would love you to follow the expedition and provide your own stories and perspectives. You can do this by subscribing to this podcast and joining the Women Emerging Group on LinkedIn, where you can have your say.